ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Exactly. So cool. I just hit the red button. Uh, so we're on with Jesse and okay. Shane of Wiser Precision. Um, I met these gentlemen through the Founder Speaker Series. Um, and as soon as I looked at their page and their product, I was I was pretty much hooked. It, it fell right in line with uh, the time I spent out in Oklahoma doing some LR shooting here recently. Um I'm a gear junkie guys. Like I have a, I have a very, very, a very bad habit, right? I'll see something and it's like, okay, I got to try that out. Some things work. Some things don't. I'm getting better. The last couple of years I have toned it down and I'm like, okay, if it doesn't fit that I'm just, I'm not going to even bother. I'm not going to waste the time with it as, as much as I want to spend the money. <laughs> it's time to stop and, and spend it on hunts. Um, but when I saw, what you guys have, uh, it was, yeah, I was just like, this is perfect. And it was perfect timing. So I'll let you guys go through the intro. Uh, why don't we do, you know, a, a personal intro and then, uh, we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, I guess I'll start. So I'm Shane wise, uh, with wiser precision, as you mentioned. Uh, so I started this business three years ago now. Um, and just kind of like a, a little, side gig, basically. Um, it was an opportunity to help a buddy who had a nonprofit that I really believed in, uh, to help generate revenue for him. So that's been pretty cool. And it's just kind of getting bigger and having more fun with it. And Jesse and I've been hunting together for years. So last season, it kind of got to the point. It's like, okay, this is like getting pretty big for me to do on my own. And Jesse has some unique skills that fill gaps in my own skill set. Um, so then 
we, you know, sort of been talking about it for a little while and decided to make it happen and partner up to sort of double team this thing. But yeah, then I can share a little bit about myself. So uh, Jesse Salmonson, and uh, I guess just a little bit of hunting background first. So I kind of grew up in a family, you know, from Washington state, we're way up here in the Pacific Northwest or the Northwest corner of Washington, right up near Bellingham. So I kind of, uh, grew up hunting, um, hunting family, kind of did the whole, you know, middle school, high school, follow dad and grandpa around on the logging roads, um, kind of that big family camp mentality. Um, we're fairly successful, not, not myself, but I'd say, you know, deer camp always had a few deer hanging in it every year, which was a lot of fun. And then, you know, as I graduated high school and got older, went off to college and actually took a few years off from hunting. Um, didn't pick up a rifle, didn't do, didn't do much, kind of just enjoyed, I guess, being a student at the time and some other hobbies. And it was about a year before I graduated college that a bug kind of bit me again. And I was going to WSU. So go Cougs. There's any Cougs out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have some really good mule deer hunting locally, um, around the WSU area that in, in the Pullman area. And so kind of got bit by the hunting bug again and got back into it a lot. Um, a lot more than, than before, I guess you could say. And, and at the same time I was sort of getting into backpacking and then graduated college and came back home and, you know, got into backpacking a, a little bit of mountaineering. And, and that's kind of when everything kind of aligned and, and hit me. And it's like, wait a minute, why don't I combine this backpacking and getting into the back country and going in deep and these multi-day trips with hunting another passion that I was really starting to develop at the time. Um, and, throw those into one hobby. And, and since then it's just, it's been game over. Now it's like all I can think about eat, sleep, hunting. (laughs) So, but, um, no, I was just going to say, and then, you know, the passion has just kind of continued to grow and then introducing the the wiser precision thing. And now we're making some awesome products that were uh, developed out of need and out of use from just our own personal adventures and, and little gaps that we saw to help shape some weight in our packs and get more stable when shooting. So, yeah, um, I mean, I would say that we're, we're both gear junkies like yourself. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's kind a, of a, a fun uh, crutch to have, I suppose. Uh, well, but yeah, yeah, it was totally <laughs> the, the, the downside. The downside of that is when you get into the Rubbermaid totes, or however you store your gear and you go, man, I have, I forgot I had this, you know what I mean? Or you have the one yeah, tote yeah. that you haven't opened in two or three years. That's, that's where it, uh, it really started to make me realize that I had an issue. <laughs> well, and, and I'm really bad about selling gear. So it's like, yeah. all of a sudden I go through and it's like, wait a minute, I got four stoves. Like, why the heck do I need four camp stoves? <laughs> Only using one, yep. throw one in a bin as a backup. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm horrible about getting rid of it and, and just kind of upgrade and thrown in a bin, but it does help though. Like when you get someone new, it is nice to have that large, you know, kind of library, I guess, if you say of gear, just you know, it, it helps ease the burden on another person. If you're like, Hey man, don't worry about that. Just come along for the experience. I got a lot of this stuff and you're more than willing to use it. So that, and actually that's kind of where I went, man. And, and it wasn't so much facilitating somebody that was going with me. But when I saw people that were trying to get into it, that were asking about gear or coming shy on gear, 
for a, for a while I was trading. I'd be like, you know, say, hey, send me. I got, you know, for the stove. I have, you know, this we'll call it jet boil. Send me two wind checkers. Send me four wind checkers and we'll call it an even trade. So for a while, man, I think I <laughs> the, was two years ago. I think I had something like 50 wind checkers from trading gear for wind checkers. Everything from boots <laughs> to arrows. So it was pretty cool, you know, helping somebody else get out there. And I'll go through, man, easy a dozen to to a baker's dozen of wind checkers in a season you know so uh mm -hmm. it was it was uh scratching my back i'll scratch your thing but what i was going to say just yep. when you were talking there is is talking about you know getting out with uh, your granddad and and your dad there in your early years and and running those logging roads man that that is a pnw tradition right i mean when you talk to folks that grew up in yeah, the pnw is. that is something that is synonymous with lifelong hunters in the pnw and and to look <laughs> at that tradition there's a there's a bit of a a bit of envy that comes along with it man when i hear some of those stories and i when i watch people talk about that and it, the, those are always the memories that seem to light them up the most man it's uh that's a heck of a tradition that the that the pnw has in itself man yeah, I think you couple, like you said, the the logging roads with the hunting blacktail aspect, which you can't do in a lot of places in the, the Western states. And yeah, there is a lot of uh, cool aspects about that. So, you know, it was, it was just one of those environments where my grandma and grandpa had the huge wall tent and, you know, we'd go up there. It was uncles and, you know, the the ants would come up and my mom would come up for a weekend and it was dad taking you right after that Friday night football game and running up to the Hills every weekend and, and staying up there for three, four days. And, uh, yeah, a lot of good memories. The folks can't see it, but I, I see the smile that came along with it and the smile that's <laughs> there after, even on Shane's face, as you were saying it. So, so Shane, where's, where, where do you stand, man, in the hunting background and the outdoors? What, uh, what really sparked that fire and, and, uh, what, what's your, what's your passion out there? Is it mule deer? Is it, you know, speed goes, is it elk? 100% black bear is, is my passion. My, they, they're actually kind of what got me into big game hunting. I did a lot of waterfowl growing up through high school and then in early twenties, and then just sort of phased out of that as I got busier with work, um, it sort of lost the interest, I guess. Um, and I had been kind of like Jesse got into backpacking and, and hiking and camping up in the Alpine that we have here. Um, and it was funny. I was going through like this was in my early, early 20s. And I was remember I was flipping through Craigslist, like the free section and a bear rug popped up and I showed it to my wife. I was like, look, we could get a bear rug. And she's like, you can put a bear rug in the house if you go kill it. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you oh, got OK, that's actually not a bad I'm going to go bear hunting. <laughs> yeah. So it, uh, you know, and, and I like literally just hiked hiking trails that we have up into the Alpine. It took me three seasons of like, I literally went two weekends a year and I was fortunate enough to see a bear every year. But finally that third season, it all came together and, and I filled a bear tag. And once like, that was my first big game animal. I didn't go hunting with my dad growing up. We did a lot of fishing together, but no, no hunting. So when I got that animal down and like, processing the animals, something that I love now. And in that moment, like that first animal processing it, it was just such a like special, intimate, cool thing that I was totally hooked on. And then I think it was like the next week, Jesse filled a bear tag. And then we both got talking about elk and we're all fired up on that. So then we you know, started hunting together and been on a few elk hunts, but yeah, my, my big game hunting got started from 
that uh, Craigslist ad. And my <laughs> wife told me to go get a bear myself. I wonder if she, I wonder if she was hedging bets on that. You weren't going to kill a bear. So it was like, oh, well, if I, I say this. I think she was. And, and I would probably be with her too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this, this will keep him busy for a few years. Yeah. yeah. That third year when that bear comes home, she's like, oh, crap, we got a rug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I, you know, did, so did you get a rug made out of that bear? I, I did. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He's not, he's not a big bear, but yeah, he's hanging in our living room. Nice. How, how does she, uh, how did she respond to that bear getting hung? She was actually kind of excited about it. Nice. And, you know, like I said, it wasn't like three years of hard hunting. It was really pretty casual. Like if you could even call it hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, she sees how excited I get, especially now that, that I've, you know, harvested some more animals and she sees how excited I am leading up to the hunt and coming back from the hunt. And especially with like when it's successful, like there's just that much more excitement and fulfillment on top of it. Uh, so she appreciates it. And I've actually got her pretty well convinced to try to get a bear herself too. Now. Oh, nice. That there's, I don't know that there's anything better than that shared time, right. With, with your wife mm-hmm. out in the woods. I mean, unless it's your wife and your kids at the same time, that's awesome. So is, is the bear what started the LR side of things? No, that no. was an interest of mine. So like growing up, um, I mean, even since like grade school, I can remember just being fascinated with uh, snipers specifically and just that the technicality that goes into long range shooting and, and back, you know, now it's kind of a popular thing. Like everybody's shooting a thousand yards or more. Um, back then it was much more a novelty and I found it just really fascinating. So I think it was, gosh, it was probably early, early twenties, late teens that actually you know had some jobs and had a little bit of money. And I bought a, a savage, uh, model 10 in, in, uh, um, 22250. So that was like, you know, not a big gun, but first gun that you could actually push to like six or 800 yards. And, and it was pretty repeatable and, and accurate, um, and sort of stretch my long range legs a bit. Uh, and then from there built a six, five Creed more like just as, you know, now it's like synonymous with long range and internet debates, but at the time when it was <laughs> just you saying first, it, like, just by you saying it, man, you triggered a whole, <laughs> I know a whole I, I figured I probably would, but yeah. So that, that gun, I mean, that six, five has been a phenomenal learning tool for me. That's awesome, man. So, so you, you both said something and I'm always curious, right? Cause I did the same thing and, and you <laughs> talked about taking some years off, right? And we all have different reasons for doing it. Some of mine came because of my family's, I, I had a young family, right? I had two kids. Um, my seasons weren't going well. And it was just like, man, what am I doing, right? I'm spending time away. I'm spending money, you know, and, and yep. you're, you know, we weren't in a position that, you know, it was easy for me to do those things, right? So I took those years off. Do you guys look back now and regret those, those periods where you weren't out in the woods hunting? I don't know if I would say that I regret because I mean, I just didn't know any better. I, I to some degree kind of missed the waterfowl hunting a little bit. Um, I would say now I enjoy the big game hunting more than I did the waterfowl. Uh, but even in that time, I was still out in the woods. I was still out hiking or riding bikes. It was just kind of what I what I did was a little bit different. Yeah, I would say for me, really, the only I don't think I regret taking the time off. And like, for me, it was a a matter of going to school and just really focusing on other things and different priorities and not having the money to even consider doing an out of state hunt, even if I wanted to. Um, I just think about 
looking back going, man, if I would have started, you know, hunting our home area, like yeah. five years earlier, think of the honey holes I'd have now, um, yep. as we're just like trying to drink from a fire hose, um, the last three, four years, just come up to speed as quickly as you can and spend as much time as you can in the woods and, and hunting. Um, and you know, we're kind of both, I guess, Shane and myself, we're both at that stage, kind of like where you mentioned right now, both have young families. I got three kids, um, youngest one being six months, oldest one being four. So yeah, we're right in the thick of that right now. Um, yeah, Shane's I've got two kids. One of them's two months. The other is a year and a half. So, so dang, so we're even closer. <laughs> they're pretty close together. Yeah. Boys, girls, how's, how's that stack all, up? All boys for me, two boys, one girl. You like your girl better? <laughs> I don't know if I'd say better. It's, she's definitely different. It's different, uh, than right? The boys, and, de- and definitely a daddy's girl. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's a lot of fun. If the the crazy thing is, is if any of my kids thus far have shown any interest in hunting or shooting a bow, you know, just a little kids' bows or whatnot, it's her. Right. She's the one that's just into all that stuff right now. So you never know. We'll just see see what happens. See how it plays <laughs> out. That's uh, yep. And see, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. Right? Is uh. You know, like I said, my daughter, I told you guys, my daughter's up in Washington. My son's out, you know, for the most part. Right. He's he's in school. He's in college right now. Um, so, man, it's just we're, we're kind of empty nesters. And it is uh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> what do you yeah, yeah. What do you do with all your time? <laughs> Podcast, Western Fly, uh, get in the mountains. You know, the wife and I'll go whenever, wherever we, we decide. Right. I mean, we, we don't. The only yeah. thing that ties us down right now is is our dogs. You know, so as long nice. as we have somebody to deal with the dogs, man, it's like, hey, you want to, you know, let's you know, take off to Utah or, you know, run to Colorado for a, a three day turnaround. I mean, it doesn't matter. Um, nice. It is. It, it takes some getting used to. But, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> you, you miss them. But, man, it is nice. I don't want them to listen or people go, man, this guy don't like his kids. I love my kids dearly. <laughs> but, man, when you get that when you get that time and you, and you know, you're to a point where you've you've made the sacrifices and and you can just do what you want to do uh if you have the means it's uh it's wonderful man and the kids are doing good so it doesn't doesn't bother us you know what i mean it'd be yeah, different not worried about them. yeah we're not worried about them and uh yeah it's it's pretty nice but enough about me so wiser precision um you know how did that how did, you kind of said how it came uh came about but how did you when you went th- into that endeavor, how did you say, well, this is what I'm going to do to help this, this nonprofit? Yeah. So I had been working with them, uh, like web design for, I don't know, maybe six months. And I'd been donating out of my own pocket for a couple of years. And it was just kind of like one of those things where it's like, man, I could like, like, I really believed in what they were doing. Like, just, I felt like I could do more. Um, and you know, for, for me and kind of how I believe that myself as like a white male Western man can help out in developing countries is kind of my interest. Not that like throwing money at it, at it is the answer, but I'm a white man and I'm an American. Like it, it kind of makes more sense to me to empower locals to help locals. And that was all what this nonprofit was about. So it just made more sense to me to help them financially. So it, it was like very much an interest when I started the business that a good chunk of profits would go towards helping them grow, uh, which has been super cool. Um, since then, the the organization has closed down the founder of it. He's actually, it's super cool gig. He's a paratrooping chaplain. 
So it sounds like super awesome. <laughs> so anyway, since he's doing that, he hasn't been running his nonprofit. But yeah, that, that was very much the interest in kind of starting it. And it was the, the product that kicked it off was the Corona Mount. And that was 100% just a need that I had from shooting long range and, and trying to be more efficient with my load development, as well as tracking velocity for the long range and extreme long range shots. I, I just needed a means to suspend my bayonet off the barrel. Um, so came up with that solution and then it turned out there was a lot of interest for it. Yeah. Cause I mean, you look at that, right. And that we're talking about the chrono mount when, when you look at that or, okay, wait, was the, was the chrono mount the first or was the bayonet back, uh, bracket the first, I guess. Uh, it's, so it's all like, it's yeah, all, all kind of the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically we don't manufacturers sell the magneto speed bayonet this you know this the current their chronograph their v3 or their sport or what we what the chrono mount is is it's a tool to help get your bayonet so you don't have to strap it to the barrel and it mounts it off of an arca swiss or a picatinny rail and that way you're not messing with the barrel harmonics and you can actually shoot for groups since it's not going to impact your accuracy and for velocity at the same time so, so how do we you, really sell the mount so how <laughs> no, do you yeah how do you <laughs> Is there an engineering background, right? Or did you say, man, I have to do this and just sat down and figured it out, right? Because I see there's there's certain things that you see and it's like, that's ingenious, right? Or, you know, what what spawned that? You, you just, you kind of scratch your head. Um, but when you look at not just, we'll get into them, but when you look at the other products, it's like, okay, this came out of necessity, but this is, this is amazing that this dude is basically sitting in a garage or on the living room table and came up with this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I played with a lot of Legos growing up, <laughs> but I, I, I joke at that, but I really did. And I tinkered with everything that I could and made as many interesting little gizmos and gadgets growing up as I could just because I was fascinated with mechanics. Uh, for my day job, I'm a control systems designer. So like I point at papers and work in CAD all day, not specifically like mechanical design, but uh, have a lot of uh, 3D modeling background as well. But yeah, I, I would attribute most of my um, design skills and, and ingenuity to playing with Legos and tinkering as I was a kid growing up, honestly. That I should have played with more Legos. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you came up with this design and you put it out on your rifle and then it just spawns from there. People see it. People, the interest grows. How did that, how did that look? Yeah, there's a, a Facebook group. It's uh, uh, the name has changed on it a couple of years ago, but uh, Pacific Northwest precision shooters. And I had posted a picture of it there and got a lot of interest of guys that were like, Hey, would you sell this? And I was like, well, yes, yes, I would. Um, so I did kind of like a, a short, um, you know, discounted buy-in, I guess at that, like, I don't know, I think I made 40 of them, 40 or 50 of them and they sold right away. And that basically gave me the funds to put uh, a larger order in to get more materials to make more of them. And I was actually at a match and I don't know if you've heard of the six, five guys at all. They're not making videos anymore. Um, but I actually had bumped into, they make, you know, they have a, a YouTube channel. I had bumped into one of them at a match and he saw the Corona mountain. We got talking. He's like, I need to do a video on this. And I was like, that would be awesome. So it was pretty funny. Jesse knows the story. I 
they had, you know, I, talking to Steve, he's like, okay, I'll, I'll get the video done by the end of this month. Uh, I was like, okay, cool. So I just like started getting inventory built up just in case there was a, a big inrush of sales. And he was excited enough about it that he pushed out the video early and I didn't know it came in early. And all of a sudden I get like 60 orders and I don't have like 60 put together and I was gone that weekend. So I couldn't like work. Um, but it was, yeah, it was kind of crazy. It did, it did very well. Um, it was kind of a, a humbling, exciting time. What, so, so at what point, at what point did the necessity become the business idea, right? When did you say I'm going from a long range shooter that's facilitating a problem that I'm having and now I'm going to turn into this entrepreneur um, and start this business? Yeah, I would still say, honestly, to this point, it's kind of a mix of both. I mean, as soon as like people said, hey, we'll give money for this. I was like, all right, game on. Um, but to this point, everything that we make and sell has been out of necessity for, for our own gearless, um, deficiencies that we see and, and that we want to fill ourselves. We're, so, uh, we're weight weenies, but yeah, that's our, our badge. <laughs> going to the back country is we need a weight weenie badge. Yep. <laughs> well, you shoot a six, five Creedmoor, at least one of you guys. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, can, that could hunt. be, yeah, that could be uh, a hand in hand type thing there with, uh, with a lot of folks. Um, yeah, my hunting rig, it, I think is a little over 10 pounds. So I need to need to try to trim some fat on that thing. Yeah, well, man, that's a rabbit hole, right? So you you start talking <laughs> about rifle weight and long range shooting and the things that are available yeah. and being a weight weenie. Um, you have to make a, some real compromises. <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean. That's that. It, yeah, but where do you make the compromise? Do you make a compromise as a weight weenie or the guy that wants to shoot the six five eleven hundred yards? Right. I mean, that's a very interesting conversation, especially for you know. I don't know. I'm gonna call it. A, we'll just say a few years where you were seeing these you know LR type rounds that were in six pound rifles, right? With <laughs> twenty three. 22 23 inch barrels and it's like well i get it but at the same time what what are we sacrificing here right so you know yep. you're, you're tipping the scales one way or another so um that's a heck of a rabbit hole <laughs> so what what really what really got me right i'm a i'm not gonna even say i'm a, a long range shooter i went to I went to DR long range, uh, my friend Ron white and, and spent some time with them. Right. And we're tapping steel. I think the farthest we shot, I know the farthest we shot was 1260 as nice. a hunter. My effective range has always, I can shoot 600. No problem. I don't think I would ever look at an animal past 450, 500 until, you know, I spent that weekend with them just for a mm -hmm. comfort level. Um, and the uncertainty of the lack of knowledge, right. When you get out into the yeah. field, um, that has increased, but what, what really caught my eye was the quick sticks, uh, the quick clip, the third leg that's the, as soon, as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's, that's money right there. That is absolute money. So we're talking about weight weenies, right? That's, <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm really not a weight weenie, but if I can take a piece of gear and have that serve multiple purposes and cut weight at the same time, I'm a weight weenie all day. And, and this, yep. the quick sticks 
and that whole system um, is is perfect. So why don't you guys, you know, one of you guys give us the the background on that and and what it does, what it facilitates, and then we'll just go from there. Yeah, I can kind of give this the system rundown. So on our website, you'll see it's called the Quick Sticks System, which, like you kind of mentioned, encompasses all three products. So start with the Quick Sticks, which was kind of the first thing to come out, and basically with that, it was just you know, kind of like the, the recurring theme here was out of necessity. And we saw, you know, we saw as we're hiking around the mountains, we always have these trekking poles with us and it's like, okay, we're always going to carry these things. Most of your trekking poles, let's say are eight ounces each. So you're talking a pound to maybe a pound and a half for your kind of average weight of trekking pole, carbon or aluminum. And, and we're just kind of sitting there going, okay, there's got to be a way to make these do just a little bit more for us. So the first thing was the quick stick. So it's made out of an engineering plastic and basically it, there's a pair of them. One snaps onto each of your trekking poles. And then there's a lug system that'll engage with each other. You turn them to a 90 degree setting. And now your trekking poles are essentially fixed like an X and you've got a, a solid rigid connection in the middle of the trekking poles. So you're not going to get a lot of deflection. You can really dig the legs of the trekking pole in, get your rifle set, you know, on the top of that X. And now you've got yourself a pretty stable shooting platform that takes, you know, literally just a couple seconds to deploy. Um, and I think the quick six are 2.3 ounces. If someone's really counting ounces, it adds a couple ounces yeah. to your pack. So you're adding that ability. And, and one thing that we ran into a lot here in the Pacific Northwest is there's always brush. There's always blueberry bushes. There's always, you know, if, if we are hunting the logging roads or in that thick crap down low, um, there's just always something that's preventing you from getting down prone or getting on a log or getting, you know, as close as you can to the ground, which is really your ideal shot. And that's going to be your most stable position, the lower you can get to the ground. Um, but this gives you the ability to now get really stable in a seated position, a kneeling position. Um, you can use the quick sticks under the front of the gun and maybe, you know, grab your backpack as a rear support. So it just gives you a lot of functionality repurposing the gear that a lot of us backcountry hunters are already packing. So kind of the, the evolution of that system for us was you know, now we've got these trekking poles that we can turn into these shooting sticks, which is just awesome. But we're looking and we're like, wait a minute, we carry around these six by nine, you know, six by nine inch bipods on our gun, which weigh maybe 10, I was going to say 10 ounces on the light end upwards of a pound or more. And kind of like I just explained, we rarely found the opportunity to actually use those things. So most of the time we're just hiking around the woods all day, all weekend um, with, with this bipod on our gun. That's really has a low probability of ever being deployed or used in an actual hunting situation. Six to nine inches. I mean, that, that's the biggest thing right there. Right. I mean, when you talk about what you're shooting through, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, yeah, that's, that's the key. And so, you know, but a lot of times with the quick sticks, you still get, you know, there's one axis that's not stabilized. You can still rock the gun forward and back along the axis of the barrel. So you don't quite get the stability of a bipod, but you do, it gets you a long, uh, a long ways towards that. So the quick clip was developed to kind of solve that problem. So now a lot of guys, it's pretty common to have a Picatinny rail on your rifle. And so the quick clip has a, a QD or a quick disconnect lever that'll go right on a Picatinny rail on a rifle. And the other end of it actually snaps firmly onto the quick sticks. So now you can let go of your trekking poles and they're going to stay on your rifle, just like a bipod would. So now you've got this bipod that's adding the, 
those two products together about five and a half ounces. So for five and a half ounces, you're essentially bringing a bipod with you that can go from a prone position because you can index it to a 45 degree and shoot prone all the way up to this kind of crouched kind of hunched over type height. You know, most trekking poles I think are five ish feet, somewhere in that range. So you can easily shoot seated crouching or kind of hunched over. And now you've got this rest that is firmly attached to your gun. It frees up your offhand and just gives you a lot more functionality in the field for, you know, ounces, arguably half a pound less than the bipod that we were already carrying. So by the time we ditch that, you still end up saving weight. So if, if I angle, if I angle my, my sticks out towards the muzzle of the gun, um, yep. what, how low are you able to get on that system? I'd say you're probably about that nine inches. So you, you put your trekking poles to the shortest setting possible, and then you index those out to 45 degrees from your Picatinny rail, um, which is done with the quick clip. There's a push button on it. So you can go from a storage mode to 45 degrees to 90. Um, I'd say, yeah, you're right in that nine inch range. I mean, that, that um, you're, you're off the ground, you're dang near getting, you know, dang near getting prone. Yeah, you can um, in that yep. situation. Yep, that's the idea. Is you can shoot prone um, using your trekking poles. And then how how would you? Is there a sling mount or how does that look? If I'm running that on the Picatinny, um, is there a way to mount a sling if so, a guy wanted to have a sling on his rifle for whatever reason with this? Yeah, so that's going to just be completely dependent on the rifle and whether it came with you know a, a Picatinny rail on there from the factory or whether someone added one. In my case, I run a Tika a Chamberlain 300 Win Mag, so I actually went and installed a Picatinny rail above the um, sling stud. So I still retained the sling stud. In that case, I just put a little three slot Picatinny rail on there, which is all the the quick clip really needs. Um, you know, Caldwell makes a really good kit that you know if you're not quite comfortable doing that type of, uh, I don't know, I guess I'd say entry level gunsmithing or whatever, what, you know, whatever you want to call it, but, um, it'll literally mount onto a sling stud. So a lot of hunting rifles traditionally did not come with Picatinny rails on them, but Caldwell makes a kit where you can tension it right onto the existing sling stud. And then they also give you another sling stud on that little adapter. So oh, wow. you kind of, you, so you still retain both in and that you case, get the best of the both best of both worlds with that system. Yep. And, and that really is a, a solid little adapter. It's the one, you know, we get a lot of questions of, Hey, I've got this hunting rifle, whether it's a Browning or a Tika or you, you know, fill in the brand of, of hunting rifle. Um, I really want to use this system and, and add a Picatinny rail. What do you guys recommend? It's, it's definitely that Caldwell kit. So will you guys start looking at maybe doing something like that or is Caldwell have that and you're not going to mess with it? We've talked about doing other things, not not quite exactly what Caldwell's doing, but we get enough requests. It's like, yeah, we should probably offer a solution. Like a sling stud mount type tension or yeah, something or, like or that. Or like a do-it-yourself type kit. Right. Yep. So yep. Yep. in terms of setup, setup time, right? So if I'm, you know, I'm going through, I spot my, we'll say black bear, because that gets you both smiling. Um, <laughs> I pull that rifle out. I pull my trekking poles out what what's the what's the spot to set up to shot time shot time we we know is a variable but what's that setup time um after a few uses and getting used to that thing yeah it's it's really pretty stinking quick um as as kind of the name implies uh so like the quick sticks if they're on your trekking poles i mean it's literally like putting the trekking poles together and twisting them so you're like a second or two 
and you've got a pair of shooting sticks and you know, we both hunt with a quick clip and, and use that for a tripod setup as well. And I really enjoy that as kind of making that like tall bipod. Uh, additionally, like it just, it connects your trekking poles to your gun as that tall bipod. So like this last year for my bear, we spotted him, you know, several hundred feet below us. And I threw the clip in, connected on my gun, threw on the micro spikes. And we literally just ran down the hill to get into a shooting position. Um, and I mean, even that, like most of the time that clip lives on our gun. So then it's another second or two just to engage the quick sticks into that clip and connect it to your, to your rifle. So on, so I just want everybody that, that is not able to see this or is not looking as they're listening. So you have the, uh, the quick clip has basically a, a horseshoe shape to it. And then yeah, the, yeah. uh, the, the quick, quick sticks. sticks have a ring so they're the, the quick sticks are round um and then they have a accessory ring machined into them and that horseshoe just snaps and locks right into that accessory ring on the quick sticks and then you the nice part is that accessory ring is continuous so you do still have cant adjustment on your rifle like you would with the normal bipod because that horseshoe can just slide around that ring right so yeah kind of like shane said the the quick clip it really just lives on my rifle. Um, it's in the storage mode. And then when I do need to deploy it, you just push that push button, put it down to 90 degrees, snap it onto your trekking poles and away you go. So that, okay. I see the push button. Well, no, is that the brass push button? It's the brass. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'm looking at it here. Yep. And then that, so that other is the, is basically what frees it from the Picatinny. Yeah. The so there's a QD there. Yep, that lever yep, okay. is the QD attachment for the Picatinny rail. Okay. Yep. And then, okay. So we'll further this, right? This, <laughs> I love this. Um, so on top of that, right, we, we have the third leg. <laughs> I'm a child at heart, man. And I saw that. I just started laughing. Um, nice. so, so talk about, talk about the, th the third leg um, and, and how that came in into play with all this um and that can you shoot with the third leg on um does that add stability or what was the thought process there with that addition yeah the thought process there is uh we're weight weenies again <laughs> That's, how do we how do we ditch these like two pound tripods that we've been carrying when we've got two thirds of the system with our trekking poles um so then with that kind of that interface ring and the quick clip, like it was a pretty, pretty easy jump to throw in that extra leg. Um, so most of the time, like I've, I've never shot off of it. I've thrown my gun on there just to kind of like judge uh, stability. There are some videos of guys shooting off of the third leg setup. So like you can do it, but you know, from my kind of long range PRS competition background where I'm used to having like a 40 millimeter tripod leg you know like a, a 10 pound tripod to shoot off of where it is rock solid the third leg quick stick system is really meant for glassing and it does that very well but that being said you can still shoot off it and some people still do yeah. it, it's going to add stability but if you're looking for the same stability as you're going to get out of that 10 pound tripod you're not going to be disappointed it. right <laughs> yeah right well i mean that and yeah that's a 10 pound uh 10 pound tripod right um you know, if we're, like you said, if we're talking weight here and, and functionality and dual use of equipment, I mean, you can't, you can't go wrong with, with the quick clip. Um, yeah. And then just, I guess, just to kind of explain how that 
system links together. So when you do want to deploy, you know, your tripod to say throw your 10 by 42 binos or your 15 by fifties or whatever, you know, whatever you're running to do your glassing, you would just take the quick clip off of your rifle or, and if you're a bow hunter, you would already have it on the third leg, but if you're a rifle hunter, you take it off your rifle and then you'll see on the third leg, there's a small section of Picatinny rail that's clamped onto that pole. And so you'll just put the third leg on that Picatinny rail using that QD Picatinny attachment. And then the other side will once again, snap onto the quick sticks. And now you've got yourself a tripod. So that comes standard with quarter by 20 or three eighths inch thread on the top. So you add your tripod head, bino adapter, whatever optic system you want to run um, from there. And now you've got yourself kind of a, a backcountry ultralight tripod and all three of our products are right, right at about 13 and a half ounces. So that's uh so what I'm looking at it, right? So on the one top on the one side there's a picatinny, on the other side it looks like a smaller picatinny, but but is angled. Yeah. <clears throat> That's kind of storage mode. So if you have the whole system clipped together, then you can you can store all your legs, your trekking poles parallel, basically. Uh most of the time we honestly don't even use that, but it's an option. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, you look at, again, you look at something like this and you go, holy crap, this is uh and, but that's the best to me. That's the best stuff. The stuff that's born out of personal necessity. And then mm-hmm. someone, you know, like yourselves takes it farther and says, Hey man, there's a need for this. Let's, you know, you know, dip our toe into the proverbial waters. Right. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, I think I was gonna say, I think the need came out of too, which I think a lot of people would, um, it would admit this. I mean, getting any pair of binoculars on to a stable glassing platform, it is just amazing how much more you can see, right? Because now all of a sudden you can let go of your optics and you're going to catch that little ear flick or that little mm-hmm. bit of movement through the brush or anything like that. So it really helped us, you know, not only save weight, but spot a lot more animals too, just by now all of a sudden I'm always bringing a tripod with me versus, you know, beforehand it's like, okay, we're going somewhere. Let's say it's six miles in, maybe 4,000 feet of elevation. Do I really want those, to bring that tripod? Those are the times <laughs> right? I text Jesse like, you, uh, you bring in the tripod, Jesse? <laughs> do, do I not have to? <laughs> you know, not, not to mention, right. And a lot of times when we're glassing, um, you know, we're free back and we don't have a solid, you know, backrest. It, it's already ergonomically, it's uncomfortable. And then yeah. couple that on, you can glass for hours, right? Um, the hardest part when you don't carry a tripod is sitting there with, you know, I go from elbows in to elbows out. My shoulders are hurting. My back's starting to hurt and I'm hunched <laughs> over. So you have these bad postures. And after a couple, three hours of that, man, you get up and, you know, as the years pack on, um, you know, you feel that more and more and more. Um, and I, I hate carrying my tripod. I, I hate carrying it. Um, this, yeah. What, what head do you recommend or what heads are you guys running, um, to facilitate the optics? So historically we've run just, you know, kind of in line with the system, right. Trying to stay ultra light and we're not running. Now, I guess I will throw a caveat out there. Typically we'll recommend like a 65 millimeter spotter or smaller just for the tripod setup. If you want to be really, really happy with the stability. Um, so we kind of keep the head in line with that. And so historically, you know, maybe a 25 millimeter ball head, um, something small like that, but that is kind of a, a gap that we've identified and we are currently prototyping a new product that we're working on kind of behind the scenes of an, an ultralight pan head to kind of follow suit with the rest of the system. Right. So just to try to save people even more weight, but without sacrificing stability. So kind of in the final stages of that, um, 
it, it will definitely be available before this hunting season, but yeah, we're having a lot of fun currently just back and forth and tweaks and playing around with it. Just trying to find out what works the best. That's nice. Cause I'm, I'm a pan head guy over ball head any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. what, what made you guys make that decision? Cause that's another, that's another interesting conversation amongst guys, right? Between pan head and ball head. Yeah. I would say just like how much easier it makes gritting out a hillside. Um, and I, I've done a lot of hunt with a, with a ball head and it certainly works, but having a pan head where you can move in two distinct axes, as opposed to that ball head, that's going to like you know, pivot around a point. Uh, it's just, it makes creating out that hillside so much easier. And have you, have you put, cause a lot of guys are, are going out with their camera gear. Have you guys tried putting cameras on this? Have you done any filming off of them, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. That's also the goal. Just make that dual purpose piece of gear when you head into the back country. So we're going to, you know, one thing we're trying to work into the design is we're going to veer off from the, the norm, I guess. And we've got kind of a, a plate system that we're working with that, you know, when it comes out, you'll see falls in suit with all of our other products. Uh, it will also be offered in the Arca Swiss variety. So yeah, most guys that are running, um, any sort of camera system that utilizes that Arca Swiss rail, it'll clamp right on and be really happy with. Heck yeah. That's uh yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, it, you said dual purpose, right? But I, I'm seeing, <laughs> I, I don't know. What do you call it when there, when there's, you know, four and five purposes to the system. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, looking at it on the site now, I don't see us like, anywhere where I can go in there and buy the entire system. Right. And, and price point wise in my head, this is a value. Um, but do you guys offer it in the full package? Yeah, we don't have a product put together for the whole package, which is a good point that you bring up. Like it just be a lot easier. And Jesse has mentioned this before, like, Hey, we probably need to do this. Um, yeah, right now you have to go add all those three products individually to the cart. Yeah, we just kind of have that the one overview page that tells you which products you would need for each individual setup to help you kind of weed through what you do and do not need for what you're trying to get out of it. Right. So for for a guy like me, right, it would be the quick clip, the third leg, the quick sticks, or yeah, the quick sticks. That and and just so everybody's clear that that the quick sticks is the lug system and it's not the trekking poles portion of that. Um, Correct. Yeah, these the quick sticks clamp on you know pretty Any much pole. every trekking pole yep. out there. Now that's a that's an interesting question. That, well, to me it is. Do, have you seen a difference between carbon and aluminum or different materials in trekking poles in terms of stability on shot things like that? Have you have you got that crazy with the thought process? Yeah, I've only ever used carbon poles to be honest. Uh, and again, goes back to that that weight weenie thing, um, but. I've used aluminum poles for testing and found that they seem to be reasonably stable as well. I think you're just getting that, uh, you're, you're saving a few ounces with the carbon really. And then no issues, um, in terms of, you know, I have a quality quality, everything. My poles are, you know, on the lower end of things, um, and no issues in shot or, or damage to the poles (laughs) or anything like that. No, we, uh, I guess confession time. We still use and personally hunt with the Cascade Mountain Tech Costco specials or oh, Amazon nice. specials. So they're just still sort of holding. It, it was one. Of, it was one of those things where when I first started, you know, trying to stay on the budget side of things and think, looking at what I could and 
could not afford. And it's like, well, heck, I'm just going to pick up these trekking poles at Costco. And when they break, which we, I fully anticipated they would, I'll just upgrade <laughs> to some black diamonds or something a little bit better. And three years later, four still years rolling. later, sitting here talking to you, they're, they're still going. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think I was, I've put five seasons on my pair cascade and literally this last season was the first time that I broke a single section and it was on a, a pack out, a heavy pack out. Um, Actually, it was a really heavy pack out. It was a single pack out of an elk between the two of us and just got, you know, stepped on something that gave way because I was way heavier than I normally am. And the trekking pole dug way in and I gave it a little twist and broke a leg. So I, I, I carried that back with me and I'll, I'll probably hang it up somewhere. It's kind of like, a <laughs> yeah, I broke a pole. <laughs> but that, that actually I saw I saw Jesse smile when I said that before he answered. But that to me, that's that's a good testament, right, to the system and it going on anything. Right. Um, yep. We we buy once, cry once type thing is is kind of the motto that that folks like to use. But if you're you know, if you're worried about it, and that's why I asked the question, if someone's worried about, well, can these polls support this? There you go. Um, it's carrying through all that. So let me see here what else I see. I, I really like this this uh, whole system. Sorry, guys. I'm looking to make sure I covered everything in terms of the no product. So I'll edit that out. Um, and, and in terms of, of price point, uh, why don't we talk about that if you guys don't mind a little bit? Yeah, so we really just try to look at it and go, okay, what's the average cost? Um, a, you know, obviously factoring in manufacturing materials, everything is either assembled or made right here in the U.S. So we do a lot of our manufacturing in-house. Any of the aluminum parts and all that stuff is made right here, actually, in this shop that we're sitting in. <laughs> um, but then also kind of taking a look and going, okay, what's the average cost for your say two pound kind of what we're competing with tripod base in that realm and just you know trying to hit a really competitive price point which i i think we did especially given the functionality that you get out of all the products so looking at it right the system is is going to run you about 220 dollars um right yep. in that area right but correct but you are weight weenian um so we're shaving weight um but the I can't even call it dual use. And I was about to say it, that the, <laughs> the multiple uses of the entire system, right? 220 is a, is really a drop in the, uh, in the bottom of the bucket there. When, when we talk about the money we spend on gear to facilitate all mm -hmm. this other stuff, I have a tripod somewhere around here that cost me more than the entire system that you guys are selling. And I can't yep. shoot off of that thing. Um, I know when I get this that I will put that pan head on the top until I, well, if you guys are coming out with the pan head, I'll look at that first because I'm sure that uh, that weight is going to be better than the one I have. Um, that Siru pan head's pretty, pretty heavy. So going back to the LR portion of this stuff, right? So um, I don't think we have the Arca Adapter Pro, the Bayonet bracket and then the wiser precision chrono mount can you just walk us through the pieces of that and, and is that a full system at some point yeah most of that is is kind of built around the chrono mount so the the chrono mount like jesse went into a little more detail on earlier is just kind of an off barrel mount for the magneto speed chronograph and then the bayonet bracket is just you know sometimes down the road people you know they buy a sporter bayonet and then get the chrono mount for that and use that 
the bracket is literally just a, a bracket change so that you can use the V3 chrono or the V3 bayonet if you go down that road later on. Uh, and then the ARCA adapter was actually built for that system as well. Um, so right now they use some QD uh, Picatinny mounts to fasten it to your rifle. But in the PRS scene, a lot of guys, I mean, say pre- pretty much every gun out there has a chassis with an ARCA Swiss rail system on it. So this was a means to get the chrono mount onto an arca swiss rail system as well as you know there's still a lot of guys out there that have bipods or barricade stops or whatever else that's still on that picatinny spec so this allows you to put that picatinny spec equipment on your rifle directly um yeah and then additionally that that arc adapter pro comes in you know it's cut with a 17s pocket spec pocket on the bottom of it so that specifically is what the Atlas bipods use. So you can throw an Atlas, like directly bolt an Atlas bipod to the bottom of this. And then you've got an Arca Swiss plate on your Atlas. A Magpul has a bipod. That's the same deal. There's a few others out there that use the 17S as well. Um, and then we also sell it with like a, a Harris spigot adapter. So I believe that would be the, the Harris bipods, of course, as well as, um, is it the H5 by um, Atlas? What's It'd be fun- that bipod that has that that pivot spigot. Yeah, what's funny with the, I mean, no nothing against Harris because I have Harris on a couple of my rifles, um, but that's about <laughs> at this point that's about the heaviest bipod that you could find is a Harris <laughs> bipod, right? So you talk yeah. weight weenie, man. It's like, woo, you guys facilitated the Harris, um, which is pretty cool because a lot of guys, I mean that that is you see a ton of those still running even with yeah, you know. A- Go ahead, Shane. Sorry, simple affordable effective bipod i mean it doesn't have nearly the bells and whistles of like the um the skypod or even an atlas but it is absolutely enough to to get you in a match or get you on the range and and provides us still a stable shooting platform yeah i think the affordability portion of that is is why you see them more than not right i yes it pained me for a while to step up my bipod game and that was just because of the lr course um yeah because like i said i got two rifles in there that that have uh have the harrises for them so what uh what did you up your your bipod game to uh, it wasn't that far up it was uh jesus the magpul and i forget the model i ain't an lr shooter okay. man you look behind yep. me i got a bow hanging on the wall <laughs> <laughs> i'm an archer yes. guy at heart man but you know yeah. what I, there there is a lot of commonalities when you start looking at you know, archery and LR. It was amazing to me mm-hmm. going through that, you know, three, four day course. Um, the commonalities in it were just like, wow. Um, it really is, is pretty fascinating because yeah. rifles are so, you know, they launch the projectile so fast that um, by comparison, they shoot basically like a laser beam as compared to a, a bow. So you don't experience bullet drop or severe wind drift until you're beyond that you know well beyond that 500 yard range where with a bow you get to 50 yards and you're experiencing <laughs> some pretty serious drop and some pretty serious wind drift and yeah well the yeah input, it is really fascinating right the 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 human side of that right the input to either weapon yep. right to either mm-hmm. platform is is where i really saw the commonalities right um for yep. me i'm you know my thumb is over 
you know, the stock of my rifle. And that was one of the things that, you know, Ron kept yelling at me. He, Hey, I'm going to tie your thumb to some paracord, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> ah, it's funny because, you know, on, on my bow, man, I'm, I'm anal. Like I don't want that input. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it was, it was great, man, to really see that. Right. And, and kind of meld them. And actually, I think it helped me. Um, it's an interesting realm. It's it's an expensive realm if you let it be too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. it can. Well, we were, we were having this because we both <clears throat> archery hunt uh, mostly because here in Washington you get so much more opportunity if you hunt multiple weapons. So mm-hmm. it's like you the archery hunt for elk, modern for deer, and it just it gives you a much longer season. So we were talking this last weekend. We were out shooting, going, man. I used to think it was more expensive to build a dozen really high quality arrows, really splurge for the highest components and whatnot. And now I'm like, man, with reloading costs and powder and <laughs> primers and yeah. bullets, I only got to shoot my arrow like five times and I broke even. If that thing, if that arrow lives five shots, I'm ahead of shooting my rifle now. <laughs> we we had to yeah. go. We had to go to the course with 200 rounds. Okay, and. This, this thing has been in the works for a year and a half. COVID blew it out. We were supposed to do it last, so 2020 May, and COVID blew it out of the water. And I was, you know, I, I don't know why I waited. I didn't think I had to worry about it. Um, so six months before, I'm looking for ammo, right? I'm like, okay, let me get my ammo. Let me start shooting. Here in California, we have to use copper. I'm going, you know, to Oklahoma. I'm gonna just shoot lead. Um, Two weeks before leaving, I finally found 160 rounds um, <laughs> on Gunbroker. <laughs> oh, yep, gosh. And, and, I'm sure you paid a premium for it there then, too. Huh? Actually, actually won a couple of auctions. Um, so it was, yes, it was a premium, but it wasn't, it wasn't the 100% premium, right? So I didn't sure. pay a thousand dollars for 160 rounds because that's where it, it got to the wire and i said look if i don't have these in the next couple of days i'm gonna have to do a buy it now and it was gonna be mm-hmm. 764 dollars <sighs> for for less than 200 rounds i couldn't find someone buy it now that would sell to someone in california right i can't have it shipped there. here unless it goes through ffl right People were like, oh, I don't sell to California. Nope. Sorry. Can't help you. Even powder. I couldn't even buy powder because I was like, okay, I'm going to just go ahead and reload. I'll just press my rounds out. I couldn't find powder. It was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. So I ended up with, (laughs) I ended up with a pound of powder, about 400 cases, 1,500 seven mil bullets, and... (laughs) I, I just, I didn't have enough powder to press. So I, you know, I had to spend the money. I actually spent double the money cause I was trying to do both just to make sure that I had my rounds. It was, uh, it's pretty concerning, man. So I got a bunch of rounds for the next few years by the time I get through them all, if I can find some freaking powder. <laughs> so do you, uh, do you hunt in California? And if so, what's your copper bullet, your mono bullet of choice? Uh, I I've, so they they announced that stuff back in 2013 2014 and it said they were going to start transitioning in 2015 for completion of across the board all copper in 2019 so i said forget Uh it i know it's coming i'm just changing now so shot what i had in terms of lead uh haven't looked back since so i started out with the barns um 
my rifle didn't I, I shoot my seven mil a lot my my seven mil didn't like it um i shot the hornady the gmx and that's all i've yeah. been shooting since and i shoot that out okay. of my 30-06 my son's uh 243 and and my seven mil and i've had really nice. really good results with that uh with that gmx it, it's nice, nice. yeah reason i ask is i worked up a load last year for my the tika chamberlain 300 wind mag with the hammer bullets so okay. I went with the the hammer coppers which had really good luck with and actually killed my elk with this last year um performed beautifully so i was just curious yeah that was you know the hardest part for me with that has been especially with the seven mil right because here i'm using 139 grain bullet um i like the trajectory of it uh it, it's plenty good for our size deer um on the smaller side of that, right, when I have a deer, you know, when I, we're hunting blacktail and I'm getting in that 100 to 120 pound range, the only issue that I see there, unless I hit bone, um, is it's pinholing. So I got a, <laughs> I got a trail to follow. Um, that gets a little bit nerve wracking, you know, on a, on a gunshot. It's, uh, they're going to die, but, you know, you don't want to, you never want to have to track that far. Um, and I yeah. haven't had them go, you know, I think maybe the most is, couple 300 yards somewhere up in there uh, okay but that's on the smaller animals but that gmx has worked uh has been really really good with it i uh, i like it through that rifle the rifle seems to like it groups really well so weight weenies let's talk about uh loading the packs part of this integration um with wiser has been part of that so what is what does a pack load look like what does it weigh say you know, for a, a week out in the woods or on the mountain for you guys. Yeah, I'd say we're, we're, we're both similar. Um, you can probably see there's a, a bit of a, a size discrepancy between us. So I'm like five, six, one seventy, one seventy five, And then Jesse, you're what? Like six, one, six, four, 200. Yeah. So, so much bigger. So, you know, he's just got heavier boots and heavier clothes and all that. I would say for, if it's like a, a quick weekend trip with my gun and I always count skin out weight. So that's like, I'm counting my socks and my underwear even, and the water that I take up with me, uh, for a weekend trip, my skin out weight is generally in that like 40 to 45 pound range. And if we're going in for like a week, it's just, it's literally food adds up and, and maybe some more clothes for weather. So I could be up to that, like 55, getting close to 60 pounds, depending on how long the trip is. Uh, and yeah, again, that, that includes two liters of water and literally socks and underwear and boots and everything else. What kind of calories are you doing per day when you talk that weight? Yeah. So most of the time for myself, I'm, I'm close to that 3000 calorie. And I usually try to break out, you know, we'll kind of have a plan for the hunt. Like going in is going to be pretty high output and we might have some other high output days to get to some other locations that we're shooting for. So I would say on like a low calorie day, if I know that I'm just going to be sitting and glassing most of the day, 2,500 calories is probably about as low as I go. Uh, and then for those high output, I'm getting close to 4,000 calories. And I would say the, the calories is certainly important. What I think I learned last year, more important than uh, working out the calories is, is more the macronutrients. So making sure that I've got the uh, carbs and the fats and the protein. So the, I kind of made a shift. Like when I was earlier on building out my food list, I would look at calories and just try to hit those calorie marks. And this last season, what I did that worked out really well is, okay, here's, 
I'm shooting for this much protein and I'm shooting for this many carbs. And, uh, that has worked out really well for me. Plus the addition of one, one thing we kind of took up over the last year and a half or so is we just got really tired of eating mountain house meals. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, just could not hardly stomach them anymore. So started doing all of our own dehydrated meals, which has just been an absolute game changer. It has been awesome. Of just making these huge batches of, you know, really good chili or just, you name it, fettuccine, chicken, Alfredo. And, and at that point you can control, you know, how much protein you're putting in there, how much carbs you're putting in there per mm-hmm. serving and ends up saving you weight, saving you volume. Um, tastes just so much better tastes too. So much better I, don't, I don't know why I thought that like dehydrating my own food would taste bad. Maybe it's just because I ate mountain houses. I was like, oh, this is what dehydrated <laughs> food tastes like. But <laughs> no, if you make like a quality meal and dehydrate it, you rehydrate it. It tastes like pretty much exactly meal. the same. Yeah. 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 Like chili is a great, like that rehydrates so well. So I'd say if anybody's listening, that's thinking about trying dehydrating, start with chili and it's you'll, you'll so be sold easy on too. it. It's yeah, so easy. Super easy. Yeah. They, really, really good food. And yeah. And like Jesse mentioned, you can control, you know, what's going into your meal. That's huge. The, the joke in our camp, if anybody brings mountain houses, what bear was in camp last night? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. We had a, we had an episode. What was that? Two years ago, I think. And uh, we had, I mean, output that day was just, we were grinding, right? I mean, it was, you know, sun up to sundown and then some, you know, before dark to dark, we get back and we're starving, man. And, you know, it's like you were saying, looking at the macros, right? You, you got to fuel every, that, that output, the repair, um, the fats for that, that mental stability part of it, you know, no empty calories. And, uh, Tony, you know, we get back to camp and he's starving. Like this guy's just wanting to eat. And I watch him devour, you know, brand X dehydrated meal. And he's like, man, I'm still hungry. So, you know, jet boils, burn it again we went through two and a half meals and i'm like hey man you better watch it dude that's a lot of sodium you're taking in and about i'm gonna say 25 30 minutes after eating right he, you could just see him just kind of slump right he gets super super lethargic and he's like man i'm going to hit it so he climbs he has one of the rooftop tents for the base camp and so he climbs up in the rooftop tent and me and my son are just milling around camp you know just shooting it and out at the fire and then he runs back out and he's like i don't know what's going on and i kid you not guys he comes out and it's this dude's fit he comes out and his arms and hands are swollen i mean his wrists were probably an inch and a half two inches rounder than they typically are and gelatinous and and the, the only assumption that we can make it was from all the sodium somehow yeah. down in the water you know when you get back and and it was just like whoa it was crazy it was a little bit scary because you're in so far right base camped or not um and to see him swell up like that it's a joke now but when you're you know when you're back there and you you start looking at you know can this ruin our hunt you're like oh man Um, (laughs) so yeah controlling there's a lot to be said about controlling you know what's going in um Mm -hmm. especially on those you know those days when you go back and well and and even just talking about the you know he wanted to eat two and a half meals or whatever i've I've found that you put so much better more quality ingredients into your meals that for the same weight you're getting so many more calories just because you're using those quality ingredients yeah that was another thing that really shocked me is like I wasn't confident that I could hit that same like uh, ounce to calorie uh, ratio that the mountain house hit, but like pretty much all of our own dehydrated meals are well above the mountain house meals. 
uh, in terms of calorie. With, and that, and when you look at those, right, it's hard for me. I And I'm a bigger dude. It's hard for me to consume uh, an entire bag of whatever brand it is, right? Most of them are running double servings. They're 15, 1600 calories. And after mm-hmm. a day on the mountain, man, just trying to sit down and eat that, it's it's rough, right? So, mm-hmm. you, you know, you bring that quality into it and you don't, to me, I don't feel it as bad. My body's not struggling to digest it. I'm not just super slumped yep. over after eating, you know, the, I don't want to call them wasted calories, right? Or the empty calories in some yes. of those meals, yeah. right? No, I think it's a great way to put it. Yep. The other thing too, that especially for these longer hunts, if you can control your, like eat meals, basically, you know, we'll cook just normal meals that we would eat as a family and make extra and then dehydrate that and eat that. That's food that your body is already used to digesting. Oh, that's huge. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're back there for a week or more, you've got to make several bathroom trips. If it's food that your body digests better, uh, you're just going to have a better time. Oh yeah. (laughs) A lot better. You're not, you know, you're not getting that, that the bubble gut. Yep. (laughs) So, so since we're on food now, do you guys, are you guys, the breakfast, regular lunch time, and then dinner by this time, you know, with the break being if we're on animals, how do you how do you consume those calories? Right. For me, I like to break up those calories so I don't get lethargic because you hear the guys oh, let's break for lunch. Uh, you sit there and you eat, then you eat the empty calories. We'll just keep calling it. And then it's a hour nap because you're trying to digest all of that. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, probably a good mixture of both. I still definitely splurge and have some of those empty calories. So for breakfast, I still probably do some sort of oatmeal with the protein powder mixed in there to get the protein count up as well as just boost the calories. But for lunch, so I got to admit most days is probably top ramen packet, um, PB and J something, something like that. And, you know, I, I also kind of look at it like if, if I know I'm not taking in that extra sodium for dinner. Um, I'll take in a little bit more sodium throughout the day, especially if it's a high output day, right? Where, you know, you're sweating a lot, you know, you're burning it. Yeah. Not as big of a deal. Yeah. And I would add on kind of like your question to how we break up time-wise when we hunt together and when I hunt by myself, and I'm sure when you hunt by yourself, always breakfast, like that's just, you know, wake up, I roll out the door of my tent and the jet boil is generally set up the night before. So I just start it and heat up the water while I'm getting my boots on. And so breakfast is a given, like I'm always going to eat that to just to get some, some calories in me for the day. And then I wouldn't say that we've ever been like, oh, it's lunchtime. We need to stop and break for lunch. But the way that we hunt, most of the animals that we hunt is spot and stock. So mostly we're sitting behind the glass for a good chunk of the day. So we'll, you know, it's very easy to eat while you're glassing. Um, And then dinner is always when we make it back to camp, uh, whenever that is. Right. So I got a comment, Jesse, Uh, a PB and J is never considered empty calories, bro. (laughs) <laughs> oh no, yeah yeah good, good point yeah no that, it really is we, we kind of had this conversation uh a couple of years ago like it is a really good meal because you get the you get the protein from the nuts and you get the sodium and you get the carbohydrates in the form of the sugars and the bread like it, it is a pretty good uh i was a uh, meal i was more ref- referring to the magical flavor packet that comes inside those top ramens <laughs> oh, yes. and whatever is in those oh this is actually another kind of game changer that we found uh was it last year or two years ago the um bone broth 
packets. All Adding buddy. those to the ramen Do we is hunt together? really good. Lona <laughs> Life Bone Broth yes, Packets. Sir. What, what's your, top ramen. What do you like better, the beef or the chicken? Oh, the beef. The beef. Yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. tried their uh, their Thai beef, the Thai curry beef flavor? I haven't. It's, no, I haven't tried that one. I'm not a huge curry guy, but it after seven or eight days on the mountain, just to, just to break up the monotony, that uh, – that one's pretty good, man. On on some nice. ramen or on a dehydrated whatever you know, whatever meal. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah. on the PB PB and J, the the other side of that, right outside of the macro part of it, is when you bite into that PB and J, man, your mood is just heightened, right? <laughs> it's just like, oh man, yep. that peanut butter yep. and jelly just settles it in. Yep. Yep. It's good. I'd to- say probably seventy percent of my lunch meals is something hot. Just it's generally nice to have something hot, but I really do like if it's not hot, it is PB and J. And like you mentioned, when you bite into that, oh man, it's it heaven, is nice. man. Especially getting your uh-huh. butt kicked, right? If you're working hard for that animal, <laughs> man, yep. that PB and J is heaven. So, do you what what fears do you guys pack for, right? Because there's, I'm gonna say 95 percent of us, right? As as efficient as we want to be, as weight yeah. conscious as we want to be. There is yep. some fear that we are putting in our or packing for. What's what's that for you guys? So I would say just, I mean, one extra consideration that I think we always have to make when we go out into the back country here in the Pacific Northwest is we live in a rainforest jungle. I mean, it's always wet. We're always dealing with, you know, even so our bear season here opens August 1st, which right around the corner, um, even in August in Keep those early times or if, we're, or if we're scouting in July, you're dealing with lots of dew on the ground. Everything is soaked every morning you wake up, you're wearing, you know, gaiters year round and and always packing rain gear. So I just want to throw that out there that just my base kit always includes a pretty good set of rain gear, just because it could happen at a moment's notice. You're in the middle of a downpour. And like I said, even just on your nice, clear, warm days, you're still, you're still dealing with a ton of dew in the morning. Yeah. And Um, I would also add that it still gets pretty cold, uh, you know, we're the Alpine for us is that like 5,000 to 7,000 foot range. So here, you know, even through summer, it's not uncommon to get below freezing, uh, at night. Uh, I mean, even last year we had a couple of hunts where we woke up in the morning and our, our, you know, middle of August and our tents are frosted over. Um, so you, you couple that kind of cold with being wet, you actually could put yourself in, in kind of a dangerous situation. So yeah, like, like Jesse mentioned, always, always, always rain gear for us in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we hunt some other Western States too, and where they're not as prone, you know, they're just not rainforest. So we'll look at the forecast and kind of judge, okay, I'm going to take my ultralight emergency rain gear, maybe, um, or, you know, if it looks like there's going to be rain, then maybe I'll take a heavier rain jacket. Um, I would say on my fears, you know, I've, I've been backpacking for several years and then backpack hunting for quite a few years now as well. Uh, each, each year. And especially like the first couple of years, it was almost every trip or every other trip. I would just kind of like tweak my gear list a little bit and narrow it down and maybe add something back and sort of get it more dialed. I'd say right now, the probably fear that I pack for is my first aid kit is probably built out a little bit more than it needs to be. Um, you know, I have a couple of band-aids mostly if I, you know, if I get a cut, I'm not terribly concerned about a band-aid 
saving me, you know, it's not going to, it's going to save my life. So I pack like a, a cat um, combat action tourniquet, you know, in case there is a gunshot wound or an archery wound um, and some gauze. So my first aid kit is built out a little bit beefier for those kind of like uh, more serious falls or gunshots or knife or archery wounds uh, where I've never needed it, but sort of one of those things like, yeah, maybe if I, you know, if I did need it, it could potentially save a life. life. Yeah, absolutely. I've always find that interesting, right? If you ask that question, cause some guys will tell you, you know, I carry uh 14 double a batteries. Um, that's, <laughs> and, and you laughing, but that's dude, it's common to have guys that yeah. have upwards of 10 batteries because of all the, because of all the tech that we want to carry around. And I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I, there's no way. <laughs> there's gotta be yeah. another way, you know, 14 batteries, but I would say that those, I mean, you're packing, that's necessity in my opinion, what, what, what you stated there, how are, and I've never hunted Washington. How are the, uh, the mosquitoes? Cause I know your neighbors to the South, man, whenever I go, <laughs> yeah. whenever I go oh. to Oregon, man, it's like pterodactyls and I, I leave lumped up. Yeah, there's it. It's really interesting. It, it totally depends on the specific time of year. Bugs can be way worse than another and very interesting, like specific to like kind of microgeology within an area. So there's like some some areas that we hunt where bugs have like never really been a major issue. And there's some other areas that we have hunted where it's like gosh, I, I feel like I'm in Alaska and I need to have like literally a bug net on me. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's about me every time I think of going up to the PNW at this point. Um, yeah. You know, the last time we were in Oregon, when was that? That was not last year, year before, um, probably July. We went up. Uh, the wife and I spent a week up there. I did the hoodoo shoot that, that, uh, Pacific Northwest challenge or Northwest mountain challenge rather. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, we got eaten alive. I had probably, I had easy, <laughs> easy 200 bites. Right. And nothing Whoa. would, nothing would keep those things off of you. I don't care what amount of DEET or other toxic <laughs> hazardous <Yeah>. chemical <laughs> you put on your body. Those mosquitoes yeah. were like, what are you doing, man? That's just, you know, that's come get me sent. And yeah, like you're almost attracting them. Oh yeah. man, it was miserable. I mean, my ears were swollen. My arms were just lumped up yeah. <laughs> and uh, we got home. Right. And, and, and I'm gonna say it was a week. It took literally a week for these things to kind of, you know, unwelt for the lack mm-hmm. of a better word. And then yeah. somewhere within a week and a half to two weeks after that, they started popping back up on me. And it, it hmm. kind of freaked me out. So after that, I'm like, I'm going to be that guy with the little, you know, slip on bug head net. The next time I go up there and it's long sleeve. It was nice. Uh, it was a heck of an experience that last time, man. Yeah. Yeah. I would say our, our late July and August is, is pretty bad with mosquitoes. Yeah. And the bummer part is too, like, you know, so Idaho or other Western States where it's a lot drier and the snow melts out a lot quicker, you get, you know, you can scout, earlier i'll say at least for checking out the terrain um around here even right now as we sit here you know near the end of june we're probably still two to three weeks from getting into our hunting spots um there's still that much snow in the north cascades just because we don't see the temperatures we don't get the melt out we have a really high and this year in particular was you know had a lot of snowfall um so we're still going to be that mid to 
you know, third week in July before we can even get to some of the spots that we hunt. So. Mosquito hell when that melt out yeah, happens. Gonna be, yeah, it's going to be mosquito hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a hammock yeah, no. guy. So I'm a hammock guy, right? When we go in the woods, I love to sleep in my hammock. There is, I, there's not a bug net one that would convince me to to sleep in the woods in my hammock in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is kind of an interesting point in our gear list. I mean, I, I said that it kind of depends on the area, how bad the bugs are, and it totally does. But regardless of the area, there's still bugs in that kind of like June, July, and August. Um, we specifically hunt with tents and with tents that have bug nets Double because wall. of yeah double wall because of the because of the bugs and we you know both always pack bug spray with us yeah, yeah. you got a bug spray because i i use those sawyer products um okay. i'm telling you man I, I i've put a ton of toxic crap on my body when i go up there and it, <laughs> nothing i don't know what it is nothing seems to work even yeah. some of the clothes right i'll i'll wear hunting gear up there right because it's you know bug proof um yeah. and those mosquitoes find a way they, they absolutely find a way, find they do. A way man it's crazy yeah so. i've had pretty good with the good luck with the i think it's just the off the deet mm-hmm. um but that being said like the mosquitoes will still hover in front of your yeah. face like an inch or so they just they won't land or they'll land but then they're immediately off of you yeah oh that's when that's when playing the wind is is critical in the game right because now we're running around with uh deets and it smells like uh what is that the little pine tree yeah, <laughs> air yeah. fresheners right at best so yeah oh yeah we we totally hunt the wind like everywhere everywhere we go um yeah. I mean, we just, we don't, we don't put a ton of care into like trying to keep ourselves smelling or not smelling rather, uh, because we're hiking in generally, you know, we're gaining several thousand feet and we're going in several miles. Like we are going to sweat, especially me. Like I'm going to be drenched. Like doesn't matter. doesn't matter what I do. I'm, I'm going to stink. So uh, totally keep that in mind with, you know, where we, where we plan our glassing spots and our, our campsites yeah well, you guys are thinking of it all so so before we wrap this boys why don't we uh drop all the social the website how they folks can get a hold if you have questions etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah definitely so we're on you know all the normal social channels so you can check us out on instagram facebook uh just wiser precision the little uh owl logo is what uh what we are on on the social channels then youtube we got a lot of good youtube videos walking through a lot of the products that we talked today and then website is just wiserprecision.com and if you want to get a hold of us support at wiserprecision.com wonderful gents i appreciate the time uh look forward to running the system uh this season i'll be talking to you guys here or you'll see my order come through pretty quick here so um definitely you know thank you best of luck in the endeavors uh best of luck most of all in the field this year thank you thanks you too thanks for the opportunity thank you for listening follow western contours on instagram subscribe on youtube and sign up at westerncontours.com episodes are available on most major platforms apple Podcasts, google play and stitcher subscribe leave us a comment and don't forget to hit that five-star rating we appreciate the support and until next time lay them down